You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Amen, amen, amen. Let's pray. You can grab a seat. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have control over all things. And uh, Lord, we want to surrender that control to you this morning in our family, in our businesses our ministries and our marriages and all things. Thank you, God, that you are good. We can rely upon you in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Well, good morning, guys. Love being with you guys here at North Valley. I'm glad that you are with us this morning. Uh, If you're a guest, welcome. Glad that you're here. Um, As you walked in the door, you might have received a, a baptism handout about what baptism is. I want to encourage you to take that out and look at it just for a moment. Um, We're preparing for baptisms right now during our Easter season, and so it's going to be important. uh, If you have not been baptized at North Valley, I want to encourage you to to read through this, and uh, we've kind of answered some frequently asked questions. I want to show you some pictures of folks that have been baptized here at the church. Um, as I'm talking, you'll be able to kind of see some of these things. Um, but it's a real special time. I mean, we've got uh, young um, boys, uh, girls, men and women, uh, their whole families come together and really to be baptized. Our next big baptism is Easter. And so uh, right now we've already got a lot of the registration stuff open. And so we really want to encourage you um, to evaluate that as a family. Dads, this is a great opportunity for you to really step up and lead in your family uh, and just walk through this uh, as for you, your wife, and also um, for your kids and be able to walk through that. What is baptism? Who should be baptized? Why should Christians be baptized? When should Christians be baptized? And how Christians should be baptized? So if you want the condensed Cliff Notes version, it's on the back. It goes real quick. You can go through it like that. But I encourage you to do that. We're signing up for right now. You can sign up online. Uh, and we'll do that we're, for our Easter services. We're actually going to have four Easter services, a sunrise service outside, and then three Easter services right here in our worship uh, uh, chapel area. So I want to encourage you to sign up for that. As well, before we get started this morning, uh, you might have picked up uh, one of these impact reports this last week. Uh, we had, uh, we kind of celebrated kind of all that God's been doing in our church over the last uh, year 2017 impact report. Uh, On average, we had 300 people in attendance, 126 volunteers, 105 people prayed to receive Christ. There were 40 baptisms, uh, eight neighborhood groups, 83 participants, uh, sent a bunch of kids to camp and leaders and gave away uh, almost $17,000 towards missions and outreach. So uh, let's celebrate that together. That was really cool. Great job, church. Really excited for that. I want to encourage you to pick one of these impact reports up, though. Over the next few weeks in their North Valley newsletter, you're going to start to hear uh, stories of people uh, that have been baptized in our church, and we want you to kind of um, celebrate with us as God's at work, and there's a number of of families and men, women, and children that are going to be baptized in the upcoming um, uh, big day, uh, Easter, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So with all that said, I want to encourage you as well, um, as we look to our um, kind of this next um, phase of ministry at North Valley, as we're in 2018, 
Uh, one of the big emphasis that we're talking about in our church is the importance of investing into children and youth. And I told you last week, for those of you that were here, that I'd be talking about that this morning. And so I want to take just a few minutes to, to, to address um, the importance of children and youth um, in, our, in our community, but even around the country. So how many of you guys saw the news this week where there another school shooting um, on, in the media? Would you raise your hand, a school shooting? Yeah, well, that started back in Columbine. You remember Columbine? Uh, I was, I was, I was uh, devastated to see that a long time ago. And, you know, what's interesting is I opened up the Arizona Republic this morning and I looked at USA Today and nothing I saw on the front pages of those magazines uh, had anything to do with school shootings. It's becoming too eerily familiar for our culture where that kind of behavior and violence is happening in our country and we just don't even care. Um, I told you last week I wanted to talk to you about youth and children in our church and in our community, and I thought it was fitting uh, to address this, but I believe with all my heart that the American school students need the church. They need Jesus. And I want to read to you some statistics about all the school shootings, and then I want to bring it down to show you what's happening in our community, and then ask for you to be involved in investing into the lives of children and youth. Um, out of all the attacks in our country, we're seeing school shootings. All the attacks have been committed by males, men, young boys. They're all, they're all boys. They're not girls, they're boys. All of them. 98% of the attackers experienced or perceived a major loss prior to the attack, mainly in the home. Problems in the home, school shootings, Young boys, troubled families, trouble at home, trouble, some kind of loss. That's what's going on. 78% of the attackers had a history of suicide. They reported they're incredibly discouraged, troubled at home. 71% of the attackers said that they were being bullied at school or attacked or injured or harassed on social media. And that's, they're, they're frustrated, they're hurt. Almost all the attackers, 95%, were current students at school. These are the, the shooters are the kids at school. They're not people from outside that school system coming in to do these school shootings. So what about our community? What about Deer Valley? In Deer Valley, there, I was recently sat in to an interfaith uh, district breakfast to kind of hear kind of what's going on at Deer Valley. We have 35,000 kids in Deer Valley Unified School District. 35,000. That's a lot. I listened to a research analyst report to me and a group of pastors and leaders in the community about how our children are doing in Deer Valley. And this is the report that I bring to you straight from the research analyst hired by Deer Valley Unified School District. 54% of those 35,000 children in our community say they are discouraged or they feel stuck in life. That means that there's 18,900 children of children and youth that need the church. They need 
you and me. They need us to be active in their lives. I was a youth pastor for 10 years. I worked with the kids that were the troubled kids. That was my job because I was a troubled teen myself. And so as we kind of think about our next step as a church, our greatest priority has to be in the area of ministry is investing into the children and the youth. We won't have a future in this church unless we invest significantly in the lives of children and youth. And everybody can play a part, not just here at the church, but in your neighborhood. I heard a story of a guy that in his neighborhood, he would rally up kids uh, that were uh, in trouble or whatever before uh, church and grab them, get them in a van. And you think, oh, that'll get you arrested these days. <laughs> gather him up though that he had such a reputation he'd gather up all the kids and he'd take them to church and after church he'd feed them food and then and then just invest in the life when the guy passed away guess who all showed up the guy's funeral it was hundreds of youth kids um you can make a big difference you can do something uh currently right now at north valley kids we have about a hundred kids every sunday morning that's one-third of our entire church population is children and youth. Uh, most churches aren't like that. They don't have one-third of their entire population being children and youth. Uh, we got a lot of kids. Uh, this is a, you guys are fertile, fertile families, man. Uh, be fruitful and multiply. Yes, says the Lord. You guys are doing that. Um, so that means this, guys, this is an extra opportunity, extra responsibility for us. Um, we're five years old as a church, and like, we, can't, we can't keep doing what we're doing now. We've got to heavily invest in children and youth for the sake, not only for, to disciple and train our children up, but the community needs the church, do you, do you hear me? The whole community, Deer Valley Unified School District is having conversations right now. How do we protect our, our campuses? How do we make them safer? And the first thing I'd say as a leader in our church is just say, well, we can do something. Let's teach, motivate, encourage people to love their neighbors, care for the kids on their street. You got two or three kids on your street, I assure you. The kid leaves his scooter out and you run over it. You know, hey, buy him a new scooter. Go hang out with him, whatever. Build friendships with these kids. And then for the kids that are on in our, in our campuses, we need to be caring for them. Here's what I want to encourage you to do is um, maybe God's going to stir in your heart today. Maybe he's going to stir in your heart in the, in the days to come to be a part of investing into the lives of children and youth. I want to encourage you throughout the service today, if you want to help North Valley um, in, by investing into the next generation so that we can have a strong future, not only in this church, but in this valley and in the community around. I want to encourage you to let me know. You can text in and just say, hey, I'm, here's my name, and I'm interested. Uh, I'm interested in helping with children or with youth. My encouragement to you is if this is your church home, um, then, then you worship a service and serve a service. It's a great opportunity to invest into the lives of kids. Um, my wife's going to come up a little bit later in the message, and she, we're going to talk about the importance of investing into our children, our biological children, and our, within our own home. But she also invests in the kids that are not in our home by serving as a Sunday school teacher. Um, so I want to encourage you guys... Um, 
those of you that are serving with children and youth at any capacity, would you just stand up right now in any capacity? Go ahead and stand up. And let's, let's give these guys a round of applause. Okay. Grab a seat. Thank you guys so much for investing into our children. Now, um, I told you earlier, out of all the attacks, they were committed by males or females. What were they? Males. Let me, let, me hear, let me express something great importance to all you men in the room right now. You have a vital platform just because of your gender. You can model what it looks like to be a good and godly man just by being there. Most churches do not have, the kids programs and the youth programs don't have spiritual male leaders involved at all. And guys, the problem that we're seeing in American society are young boys that lose their spiritual, moral compass in life because there was not a father in the home, because the family was fractured, and you and me, and all of our flaws and inconsistencies as men, have a great privilege and a platform just to come into a kid's life and speak life into his life. So let's change the cultural, even uh, status of many churches, and men be very involved in the children and youth, amen? Ladies, would you like that? Will you celebrate that with me and ask them? Yeah. All right, I'm proud of you ladies for doing that. Guys, I wanna encourage you to sign up and be a part of that. You can text in and say that you'd be glad to do that. Okay, so we're gonna have to move quickly through this because I spent a lot of time on that. We're wrapping up our series in Ruth. We've been going verse by verse through the book of Ruth and here at North Valley, uh, we'll do verse by verse, we'll do a verse, we'll do verse with verse, uh, but this was one of our book series and so I hope that you've enjoyed it and been encouraged by it. But I want to talk to you about leaving a legacy. I want to talk to you about what it looks like for you and your family, you and your life, your personal life, even as a single or a married person or a person with a lot of kids or grandparents, you can leave a legacy. Three lessons from being a godly single uh, to a married couple with children. We're going to see that in the life of Ruth and Boaz. And so I'm going to jump right in. And if you're new, you're just going to, you'll catch up and you'll, you'll learn as we go. Starting off in verse 13, it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. The author spends, wastes no time kind of fast-forwarding a nine-month pregnancy. They're married, and then they have a child, and boom, they've got a baby boy. Um, First lesson is Ruth and Boaz serve as incredible examples as singles. Um. Boaz was a godly businessman, and he was single and happy and joyful and invested into his employees. He was a man of character. He had a reputation in the community of Bethlehem. Ruth was a single godly girl, and she did things right. She was, not, she was caring for her widowed mother-in-law. She wasn't rushing off to be at all the uh, places and spaces with a Boaz, They did it the right way. Um, For all you singles, this is an incredible example for you to follow the life of Ruth and Boaz as a single. They did it the right way. They wait, watch, work, and worship. 
they waited for the right time for their relationship to go to the next level and, and, and be married. They watched and, and they watched what God was doing. They worked, they worked it hard as a single and they worshiped. They were honorable singles. And oftentimes in culture, we try to do dating and single life the wrong way, where you date, you fornicate, and you cohabitate. Uh, and, and that's not God's plan. If you miss the messages in weeks past, you go, okay, yeah, I, I see that. It's a totally different paradigm as the way God calls a, a life of singleness and dating to a life of uh, to the way God has it in store. And through all that, what we have said here at North Valley, there's families coming from all different backgrounds, couples coming from all different backgrounds, but we need to know what plan A is. We need to have a great example, and we need to know that through all of it, all our our inconsistencies and our fears and our failures, God's a God of grace who restores and redeems, but he calls us to a standard. Being single has its advantages. 1 Corinthians 7, 32 through 35 says this. The apostle Paul says, hey, I want you to be free from anxieties. He's addressing singles. And he says this, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. In other words, when you're single, you just devote all your energy to the Lord as a Christian. You focus on how can I serve the Lord? Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart is for working for the Lord, not for men. But then in verse 33, he says, but the married man, look what he says. The married man is anxious about worldly things and how to please his wife. I thought that was kind of funny. I thought I've been married 15 years and I'm still trying to figure out how to please my wife. Uh, But look what it says right here. It says in verse 34, and his interests are divided. I mean, naturally, when when you... take up a marriage, you have a major responsibility. In the unmarried man or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I mean, aren't we trying to figure this out, those of us that are married, constantly trying to figure out, how do I, how do I really serve my wife or how do I really serve my husband But he says this, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, and he's talking to singles, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. When you're single, God has a, it's a season of life, and it may be forever, but you may be single the rest of your life, but this is a season of undivided devotion to the Lord. Uh, that God uses. That's the first lesson we see. And and Ruth and Boaz serve as great examples of of being single and godly. Secondly, lesson we learned is that God shows his redemptive love through remarriage. Ruth was married before. She was married to a guy named Malon. Um, She was married 10 years back in Moab. And God gives her uh, a second marriage. And it's going to bless Naomi. It's going to bless her family. Um, and some of you are remarried or you're on your second marriage. And I just want to encourage you, um, God oftentimes can show his redemptive love through that. Oftentimes in the churches, people that are um, divorced or they've gone through a loss or something like that and they're remarried, they can feel as if within Christian cultures, they're second class Christians. And I just want to encourage you, that's not the case at all. Um, there are biblical uh, guidelines and teaching on divorce and remarriage that I'll have to address another time. But I want to just highlight this in the life of Ruth. This is a beautiful thing. 
Um, she gets a, a, a new husband, a strong man. His name is Boaz. And I want to encourage all of us to realize that no matter what our situation is in life, Romans 8.28 is a great passage to see how God weaves everything together. And we know that for those who love God, all things, let's say that together, all things, all your hardships, all your setbacks, all the, the fears, all the failures that you've gone through, God in his covenant love for you is going to work it out. All things work together for good. Even if you don't think it's good, God thinks it's good. For those who are called according to his purpose. My encouragement to you is in this situation and that you might find yourself in any kind of hardship is that you need to be honest about any hurt that you've gone through and experienced God's healing so you can experience his happiness. Um, Being single can be incredibly hard. Going through a divorce can be incredibly hard. My encouragement to you, no matter what season you find yourself in, that God is still good. Third point I want to bring up this morning is this, is that God reveals his plan A for marriage and family. In that one little verse, Ruth chapter 4, verse 13, we see three vital lessons. That there's an example for singles. God shows his redemptive love through remarriage. And then thirdly, God reveals his plan A for marriage and family. It says that so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. That's covenant. There's an order. There's a plan A on how to do marriage. There's covenant, and then then there's consummation, and then there's conception. In our culture, we oftentimes do it completely backwards. We we hook up, shack up, and then we have a baby, and then we don't know. We got to figure out what to do, and then we try to go get married, and then we do it all backwards. God's plan A is this, is that there's a covenant commitment between God and one man and one woman for one life. And that's the covenant commitment that we make in marriage. We see that modeled in Scripture in Genesis 127, in chapter 2, verse 25. I want to encourage you, go home, open up your Bible, and see from the very beginning in the Scriptures, God lays out a plan A for marriage and family. Covenant, there's a covenant, there's a consummation of the marriage, and there's a conception of a child. This morning, we're going to see that this uh, couple... um, Ruth and Boaz, they're they're married, they have a child, and now grandma steps in, and she's celebrating the life and the legacy that God is redeeming and restoring through her family. What does it look like to leave a legacy for you and for me as a single, as a married couple, as a parent or a grandparent? Let me show you what happens in the life of uh, Ruth and and Naomi. Naomi, the mother-in-law, is so excited. She's moved from being bitter to being full and restored and feeling God's redemption through uh, her daughter uh, receiving a husband and having a child. She's a happy grandma. Look what we see in verses 14 through 17. It says, then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And they're speaking actually in this context of the child. This child in a sense is the uh, is the one who is actually can help redeem the whole family's line. And it says, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And then Naomi took the child and she laid him on her lap and became his nurse. 
She was, in a sense, the nanny. Uh, she was uh, a person, and this happens in every, uh, many families, is uh, a grandmother or grandfather gets involved into the family and just helps fill in the gaps. This is exactly what happens here, is she takes the child and is helping uh, Ruth and Boaz. Verse 17, and the women of the neighborhood gave him the name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse and the father of David. So my question to you is, what does it look like to leave a legacy in our own family? I want to invite up Leslie uh, this morning uh, to to, to talk about what it looks like uh, to leave a legacy in our own family, and hopefully it's encouraging and applicable for you. So will you welcome up Leslie with me? I'm going to have you sit here, sweetie, and I'm going to grab another stool. All right. So we did this the first service. You did a great job. We've got it refined a little bit. Uh, and this time, I'm going to give you more enough, enough time to go through all the points. So thanks for, for being here with me. And you just taught in the kids' classroom, and then you rushed over here. I got started. You got started. Yeah. Okay. And then I passed it off to his mom. Oh, all right. Yeah. So it's a whole family ministry today. Yeah. Uh, my mom's in town because Leslie and I are going out for our 15-year anniversary uh, travel week, fun yeah. week. Four nights. Woo. Four nights. Yeah. Yeah. Airbnb. So we're, we're going that route. We'll see what happens. So, okay. Um, the first thing, Leslie, that we talked about is understanding that children are a gift from the Lord. The Bible says it very clearly that children literally are a gift from the Lord. Um, share with... Uh, North Valley family here is kind of like how we've done that over the years. Yes. Well, one of the things we've done first is to help them know what their purpose is. I mean, their purpose is to love the Lord and love people. And uh, we try to keep it simple. But I remember when we were first married, we lived in Little Rock, Arkansas, small 1,100 square foot house built in the 1950s, original hardwood. We were sitting in our office, we'd been married a year, and Ryan said, all right, we need to write out all our vision and values for our family. We ended up with a three to five page document. I I had ambition, you know, wanted to lay it out there. But we've simplified it over the years, and our kids know our values, and it's easy, faith, family, friends, and fun. So we use those values to guide all our decisions as a family. So with that being said, what are some practical things that that we've done as parents to help, you know, um, treat our kids like Mm -hmm. gifts? Well, I do think that having a strong marriage is the best thing we can do as parents. Um, There's a lot of stability and security in the home, and we have a good marriage. Um, And then practically, on a daily basis, we try to do quality time, physical touch, and words of affirmation. So um, quality time, enter their world. You know, uh, talk with them daily, face contact. Um, I like to hike, but Riley doesn't. So to have fun with her, I'm not going to take her hiking. I'm going to do something that's fun for her. She's 13. And so we have three kids, uh, Sam, Riley, and Maya, uh, twins, boy and girl, 13-year-olds. So we're in Teenageville, and then a six-year-old girl. Mm -hmm. So Time's important. So quality time, spending time with them is incredible importance. Yeah, um, physical touch. When they're little, it's so easy. You know, you're their primary caretaker. They're um, soft and they smell good most of the time. 
And uh, so when our kids were little, I would kiss on them all the time. Ryan would get jealous because I kissed the kids too much. So I had to make sure I kissed him more than I kissed the kids. But How many of you guys, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You see it, you're like, hey, 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 hey. But um, <laughs> physical touch is important. And oxytocin is an anti-stress hormone. And physical touch helps release that. And it's calming. It helps your body's calm. And so if you have kids with anxiety, physical touch, hugs, back rubs, snuggles, those things are helpful. Like um, stressed teenagers, physical touch helps calm them. It's nurturing. And so then, it's important. And then words of affirmation are a big deal yeah. for, for, for kids, for anybody. But mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about the importance of, you know, speaking life into our kids. Toby Max got a song out, Speak Life. And you've heard the old saying, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's baloney. Words hurt, don't they? Bible actually says that you have the power of life and death in the tongue. And uh, let me just encourage you dads for a moment. Um, uh, some of you dads can be hypercritical of your kids sometimes, and then you, f you fly off the handle and you say something like, hey, that, you're, you're being stupid or you're being dumb or that was whatever. If or when you do that kind of thing, just ask for forgiveness. Just say, hey, I'm sorry. We don't talk like that at our household. Um, that's not the right kind of thing to say. Um, and anytime there's language in the house that is offensive, hurtful, harmful, damaging towards either the marriage or the family, the kids, it's just keep it on a short account. Model, then you have an opportunity to model what it looks like for repentance, forgiveness, reconciliation, and you just move on. And your whole family becomes like a grace-based kind of family culture. Yeah. So why don't you share about kind of the importance of words of affirmation too, yeah, there. so praising them and building them up is important. I think it's easier to be negative. It takes, for me, it takes more work and intentionality to be positive and to praise them, but it goes a long way. Um, telling them thank you for taking out the trash, even though it's their chore and it's expected, it still um, builds them up for us to say thank you or saying, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for working hard at school. I'm proud of you for being kind to your brother. Um, just noticing the, the good things that they do, they do, do. Yeah. yeah. Well, they do, do. That's yeah. funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we don't want to thank them for that, but, uh, <laughs> but, but the point is, is you, you guys, you know, it's like, listen, speaking life into your kids, even if they're grown up, still, still say things like this. Hey, I'm proud of you for fill in the blank. Hey, I'm proud of you for continuing to excel in your academics. Hey, I'm proud of you for taking on that job and working the extra hours. That's honorable, things like that. You don't just say, hey, I'm proud of you. Like, oh, great, fine. For what? Tell them what you're proud of them for. Or, hey, when you do this, man, you're really good at this and you can do that, you know. Or, man, when you play baseball and you do this, Whatever be the case is give those specific examples. And this applies for parenting and grandparenting. And marriage. And marriage. Yeah. And those of you that have little kids and your kids don't even know what you're talking about, guess what? If you just model it in your marriage, then it becomes a foundation and a pattern in your own home. So when the kid does rise up, then there's a whole pattern of speech and communication. I mean, the biggest uh, marital problems that we see are usually revolve around communication, money, intimacy. Those are the top three. And so communication is a big one. So speaking life into your children, sharing life with them. Um, what else? Is there anything else you wanted to share on the importance of that? That's good. That's good? Okay, so are we ready for our next, next point? Okay.
So the next, the next point is I want to encourage you is, is, is in this, is that parenting and grandparenting with a ministry mindset. Um, the Bible's filled with examples of this. I mean, here's Naomi, right? She's grandma. She's taking on this child as like, kind of like a nanny to care for this kiddo, uh, Obed, which, by the way, is a very important kid, and we're going to see that later in Scripture, how God's going to use this grandchild to be a, serve an incredible redemptive role in all of humanity. We're going to see that. Uh, but parenting with grandparenting and parenting with a ministry mindset um, in, in Deuteronomy 4 9, I'll just paraphrase it, but it talks about passing the truths on, timeless truths to children and grandchildren. And so, kind of over the years, this, uh, wanna, we want to lay out to you kind of how you can play a role in the, the life of your kiddo or your grandchild. So, will you start that off for us, sweetie? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, our roles change over time. So when our kids are little, infants, toddlers, even preschool years, I'd say like zero to four, you're their primary caretaker. They're totally dependent on us for all their physical needs. And then they start to grow and develop independence. And by the time they're five, they usually start kindergarten. So I would say the elementary and junior high years, we change from more of a caretaker to a teacher. And we're helping them learn and grow. That's when a lot of the modeling is really important. They're starting to build relationships. I mean, they spend almost 40 hours a week at school. That's why it's so hard when they start kindergarten to say goodbye. You know, they're leaving the nest. And so modeling is really important. When Ryan and I have conflict and the kids see it, we make sure that they see us reconcile too. And they know that we've apologized to each other and we've made up. And we're helping them work out conflict with their siblings, with their friends at school. I mean, Miles already had to call a friend and apologize in kindergarten. Um, so um, this is also an important time where we're helping them find, have good boundaries and we're teaching them responsibility. I mean, with the internet, this is a new generation of parenting. There's TV, internet, phones, social media, all of that. This is a season where we're teaching them how to be responsible. And what that looks like is different for every family. Um, you know, I don't, we don't want to err on the side of legalism, but we don't want to be too permissive either. We want to help teach a good balance on how to be responsible with all of that. And then also um, spiritual growth. You know, I've had to really relax in my expectations. I used to think that spiritual growth, I wanted daily devotionals, and I wanted to be praying for my kids every day, but the reality is that just doesn't happen. And a lot of um, spiritual growth is caught, not taught. I mean, we, I do value teaching them, but that's where modeling and living out our faith and that they see that is important. I mean, I think to, to summarize some of these statements too is I, kids need to be loved, protected, and directed. They need to be loved. The foundation of the family needs to be a foundation of love. They need to be protected, and they need to be directed. And in these uh, different seasons of life, you have caretaker, you have teacher, and then the next one would be? The, um, coach. Yeah. I think the high school years, the teen years when they're, is the years where we move more into a coach. Yeah, and you know, this is important too. If you're single and you don't have kids, guess what? If you're parent is still trying to be your caretaker, how annoying is that? Or if you're single and you don't have kids and your parent is still trying to be your teacher, how annoying and frustrating is that? Uh, 
you know, coaches are playing that pivotal role um, where uh, for Leslie and I in the teenage years, and I was a youth pastor for 10 years, and this is what kids really need during the teenage years. They don't need an over-involved caretaker in their life because they ought to be brushing their own teeth, doing, you know, uh, going, they have their own schedule, you know, they're learning how, they're being taught, they've learned some fundamentals, but now you're coaching them. And so what does a coach do? A coach has a playbook. What is your playbook? It's the Bible. That's how, we, that's how we live life. God designed us. He's the creator. So we follow God's uh, teaching. Uh, we follow God's ways. And um, we live in God's world. And so a coach is a coach. He co- encourages, motivates, instructs, disciplines when needed. But he's coaching. And so in the teenage years, this is important. And would you add anything to that? There's multiple coaches. There's multiple times. coaches, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it can be a number of coaches, a number of families uh, encouraging, mm-hmm. Sunday school teachers, uh, extended family, grandparents, all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and then this next phase is really encouraging is a consultant. And uh, Leslie and I are not in this phase in parenting or grandparenting. We're not grandparents, uh, but we're not in this phase in parenting. Uh, but a consultant is is in, in the, what we would say, like what? How, what were the ages? I'd say college. College. Yeah. College and up, you know, up until the time about, what, 25 or something like that? And research shows that at 25 years old is when the brain is fully developed. So listen to that. 25 years old is when the human brain is fully developed. And so you still need, as a parent or a grandparent, there needs to be some consulting that's going on to instruct and inform. And then the kid needs the freedom to access mom or dad or grandma or grandpa as a consultant, not as a caretaker, a teacher, or even a coach, but more as a consultant. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the point where you can really be their friend. Yeah, and so this happens in, in life is where, you know, what uh, my, my mother is actually here today. I'm turning 40 years old in October. My mom is not my caretaker. She's not my teacher. She's not my coach. She's not my consultant, but she is my friend. Um, she's my friend. I love her tremendously. She's done her job. She's taught me. She was my caretaker. My dad was involved. He was a caretaker, a teacher, a coach, a consultant. It doesn't mean that friends don't give advice, but I see my relationship with my parents as friends now at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I want to say there are no perfect parents. We are not perfect by any means, but I'm thankful that what I do or don't do on a daily basis does not... Um, determine the end result of my kids' lives, but it's what happens over a lifetime. And I'm thankful that all I have to be is good enough because Jesus is enough. Yeah, amen. And I, and I think too is on that is, is nobody is perfect. And we're gonna see that in, even in the story family tree of the book of Ruth is the family tree that the lineage that leads to Christ is this is a dysfunctional family that God chooses to use and restore and redeem. Um, but two, on this point is, is that a big picture of parenting and grandparenting is, listen, guys, is the goal is, is to make them independent of us and completely dependent upon God. We want our kids, and for grandparents and parents, is we want our kids, our grandkids, to be independent of us and completely depending upon God. Amen? Amen. That's really, really important. That's how we can raise a better generation. That's how we can leave a legacy. 
Well, Leslie, thanks for being with us. I'm going to finish up our teaching time. Will you guys give her a round of applause for helping me out? A story of Jonathan Edwards um, and his wife, Sarah. Uh, they lived in the 17, early 1700s in colonial America. Jonathan wanted to be a preacher, and he ended up taking up a little small church um, in, in the Northeast, and uh, they he pastored the church and his wife was really involved and they ended up having 11 kids. And uh, little did they know that God was going to use this family to create a huge legacy. Um, there was research done um, not too long ago about Jonathan Edwards. He had 1,400 descendants. Well, this is the great American preacher that was a part of the great awakening in American history. Out of his family line, there was 100 lawyers and a dean of law school, uh, 80 holders of public office, 66 physicians and a dean of medical school, 65 professors of college and universities, 30 judges, 13 college presidents, three mayors of large cities, three governors and states, three United States senators, one controller of the United States Treasury, and one vice president of the United States. Let me ask you a question. What kind of legacy do you want to leave, you and your family? Will it be a lasting one? Will it be imperishable and eternal? Or will you leave only behind tangible items of buildings, money, and possessions? Your legacy lives on in the life of people. Do you hear me? Your legacy is in the life of people. No greater investment that you could make than investing in the lives of, of people. Um, this morning, as we close out the story of Ruth, I want to read to you the kind of, it looks like we're reading through the family tree. How many of you, if I uh, asked about your family tree and we started going down through your family and we started talking about different family members, you got a family member that you just kind of don't want to talk about a lot. You're like, Uncle Mo? Well, we don't really want to talk about Uncle Mo. Um, there can be shady characters in everybody's family. Um, let me read to you the family tree, closing out the book of Ruth. Now, these are the generation of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, and Hezron fathered Ram, and Ram fathered Aminadab. Uh, Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz, big, strong guy. He fathered Obed. He fathered. He had the heart of a father. He fathered Obed. That's Ruth's child. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Okay, now fast forward, go to the New Testament. A couple thousand years later, look what happens. The book and genealogy of Jesus Christ recorded in Matthew chapter 1. And I'll fast forward some of these. This looks like a long Hebrew phone book if you've opened it up. You're sitting there like, wow, a lot of names here. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And Salmon, the father of who? Boaz. By Rahab, by the way, Boaz is... Mother was a, a prostitute. Wow. Dysfunctional family. God uses to restore and redeem. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite, an outsider, a cursed generation, a cursed people. God chooses to use Rahab and Ruth and, by, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. David was a you think, oh, he's the great guy who wrote all the Psalms. He was. He was a king. He was a strong king. He was a, a warrior, king, poet. He pulled together the Psalms. When you read the Psalms, you're reading, reading about David. He stitched together 12 dysfunctional tribes of Israel, unified them under one strong governance of the nation of Israel. 
but he had a terrible flaw in his life. Just like a lot of biblical figures in the Bible. He uh, fell into his lust and his passions, had an, an affair with a lady by the name of Bathsheba. He ended up uh, trying to cover up his affair and his adulterous relationship and had her husband murdered. Then he goes on and he has other um, dysfunctional issues going on in his family. He doesn't parent his children well. One half-sibling rapes another half-sibling. And then that child, one of the siblings gets mad and kills the other brother. And David loses his sons. He's a poor parent. He's an adulterer. He's a liar. Um, He's covering up. And then he repents and God uses them. And my point is this, is that God uses broken people to do incredible things. I don't care how dysfunctional your family line is, God can use you to restore and redeem. No matter how far gone you may be, no matter how far jacked up your family line may be, God uses crazy situations. And look at this, David the king and Jacob the father of Joseph and husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born who is called the Christ. Here's my point. I want to encourage you to have faith in that God is able to redeem any family story all for his glory. I don't know, I don't know what kind of background, family background that you've got, but the whole Bible is filled with characters that are imperfect people and God accomplishes his perfect plan. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning as we unfolded the storyline of the book of Ruth. We see that God, you use our stories all for your glory. Um, I pray now, Father, for families that may uh, be far, feeling like they are too far gone, that they've made so many different mistakes. Would you restore and redeem, give them hope and encouragement? Father, for uh, the men in the room, I pray, God, that they would make the active decision to invest more into their, uh, the people around them, for the married men to invest into their wives, invest into their children, and for the married women, Lord, that they would invest into their husband and invest into their children. And our legacy, God, happens through the young children and for the singles investing into other youth and children and for the single males to be investing into other young boys in our church and in our community. God, our legacy is through the life of people. And we thank you that you use imperfect people to accomplish your perfect plans. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.